that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those that are in heaven, those that are in earth, and those that are under the earth. And that is a reality. Uh, as the children are being dismissed, as they're leaving without me dismissing them because they know it's time for kids' church, uh, uh, they, they, they are like the rest of my children. They don't listen to me. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, I'm, I, I have come to grips with that reality. Uh, we know that, that the name of Jesus is powerful. Uh, we know that the name of Jesus, the Scripture tells us in Acts, that there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And so I pray in this new year, in 2018, that, that the name of Jesus and His name and His power would impact and affect your life. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we are back in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, Chris, I kind of feel like I'm in a drum up here. You on it? First uh, Samuel chapter 18. Uh, as we're back in the book of 1 Samuel, it's been, it's been a little while since we've been in the book of 1 Samuel, so I'm going to, uh, to kind of recap and, and kind of give you a, a very, very brief, very brief uh, summary of where we were. Uh, we looked uh, uh, over the last year, we kind of walked through the first half of the book of 1 Samuel, and we saw how, uh, how God appointed and anointed Samuel, uh, the, the, son of, uh, the son of Hannah, and he set him apart to be his, uh, to be his prophet. And then through Samuel, uh, God anointed a king, Saul, and we saw that, that Saul became arrogant and Saul became prideful, doing things his way, not, not surrendering himself to the, to the will of God, not being obedient. So God removed the anointing from Saul, and God looks at the outward, a uh, man looks at the outward where God looks at the inward, and so God appointed and anointed David, the young shepherd boy to be the successor to Saul and we see that that through this uh, through this anointing that that the favor of God was upon David and the the hand of God was upon David and all that he did and we ended our last sermon the last few sermons we talked about was David and his confrontation with the king of uh, with the Philistines Goliath of Gath and so we saw how David stepped in and David, uh, by the hand of God, was able to defeat Goliath uh, and was able to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And that's where we ended. And that's where we ended. And so now we're going to pick up the story. We're going to pick up the story as David is the king. I'm sorry, as, as Saul is still the king, David is, has been uh, empowered by God to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And Saul has now invited David permanently to be a part of his cabinet. And so, so David is now in the, he's in the, the royal cabinet with King Saul. And Saul understands and Saul knows that the anointing has been removed from him and that, that there is going to be a successor that God has appointed. He does not yet know that that, that successor is necessarily David. And so we have this dynamic going on and we're going to look, we're going to, we're actually going to look at all of chapter 18 and all of chapter 19 this week. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to look at chapter 18 and chapter 19 because in this chapter, uh, David is, is favored by God, is protected by God, is, is re- the recipient of God's providence, and Saul, this is where we begin to see the conflict 
between David and Saul. This is where we begin to see Saul trying to kill David and God protecting David. Saul trying to kill David and God protecting David. And so this is where we're going to pick up the story because Saul becomes, it becomes apparent to Saul in these chapters that, that David is the one whom God has favored. David is the one whom God has appointed. David is the one whom God has anointed to replace Saul. And so this is where we're going to pick up the story. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 18. And then we're going to read the last few verses of chapter 18 and the first verse of chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came about when he finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house, and Jonathan made a covenant with David. Because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul went, wherever Saul sent him, and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it happened as they were coming... Then when David returned from killing the Philistines, that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul became very angry for this saying, displeased him. And he said, they have... Ascribe to David 10,000, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Skip down to verse 27. David rose up and went, he and his men, and struck down 200 men amongst the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, for a wife. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. The Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as they often went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all of the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all of his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. Let's pray. God, as we look at this passage, Lord, may we hear your word. May we not hear the words of a preacher, but may we hear the word of the Lord. May you speak to our hearts. May we know as we leave this place that we are highly favored of God and that you are with us. You provide for us. You protect us as your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know that you are highly favored of God? I think so many times we... we in our lives, we always look at others and we say, you know what? They've got it better. 
know, they've got more money, they've got a bigger house, they've got a nicer car, they've got a better job, they've got more well-behaved children, whatever the case may be, the grass is always greener on the other side. We always think that, that, that somebody else has it better, and, and, and I am just as guilty as the next person. We are all guilty of this to some degree, that, that, that we think that, that someone else, in someone else's circumstance, someone else's life, is better than ours. And I think that oftentimes we fail to realize how favored we are, that we are highly favored by God. It's interesting, if you look at a global statistics, even the poorest of the poor in our country are the most wealth are among the most wealthy people in all of the world. And that's not an exaggeration. Not even close. We are highly favored. We're sitting here today on January the 7th. That's today, right? January the 7th. We're sitting here in a comfortable place. Most of us drove here on vehicles that we owned. We're going home today with food in our pantry. Most of us have jobs to go to on Monday morning. We have clothes on our back, a roof over our head. We don't worry and fret for anything. Our greatest, our greatest want is the newest and, uh, and, and, and most extravagant gadget or, or, or the, the newest thing that's to come out that, that the world and the advertising world tells us you have to have this. And if we don't have that, then that's our greatest frustration. We are highly favored. And I pray that whenever you leave this place today, that you will know that the favor of God rests upon you. If we look at the text, after the defeat of Goliath, it was evident that the hand of God was upon David. And we've all met these people. We've all met these people that it doesn't matter what they touch, doesn't matter what they do, that it turns to gold, right? They, they, can, they can be given the, the most horrible circumstances and they, they can be given the most, most difficult uh, uh, circumstances surrounding them and, and they begin to work, they begin to, to, to interact and all of a sudden everything that they touch turns to gold. How, how many of you know people like that? How many of you know that that is not you? <laughs> Seems like everything that I touch goes the complete opposite of, of gold. And, and so, so, but we all know those people. We all know those people that, that, you know, no matter what they do, no matter what, what they're involved in, that, that God has his favor upon them. This was David. This was David. And you can look at, you can look at the, the, the text of chapter 18 and chapter 19, and you can see this. There is a theme throughout 18 and 19 that the favor of God was upon David, that everything that he did turned to gold, that whenever he went out to face Goliath, that God's hand was upon him, and he was able to slay the giant from Gath, that whenever David went out to face the Philistines, that he was able to triumph over the Philistines, and he comes back from war, and the people are singing his praises. Now, they're not... They're not speaking ill of Saul. They're saying Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And there is this, there is this clear identification that the hand of God is upon David. And if you look through the chapter, there becomes this, and, 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 and I'm, I'm going to kind of summarize chapter 18 and 19 for you so you'll understand what's going on. So chapter 18 comes back and there's this rift 
between David and Saul because Saul is jealous. Now, David, in all of chapter 18, David's clueless. He has no idea. He has no idea that Saul is plotting against him. He has no idea that Saul is trying to kill him. So Saul gets upset. We know that we know from the history of, of 1 Samuel that Saul will have these moments of madness, these moments of, of rage, these where, where the uh, where an evil spirit will come upon Saul and he'll go crazy. Remember back earlier in the text of 1 Samuel that whenever those moments would come, that David will be called upon to play the harp and to play the lyre and to calm the spirit of, day, uh, of King Saul. And so, so this was commonplace. Well, during one of these common, or I'm sorry, during one of these fits of madness, Saul takes a spear and tries to kill David. And David says, okay, he just, he had a bad day. You know, things, things didn't go well for him that day. And then Saul says, you know what? I will, I will trick David into, into being killed. I will send him on an errand to, to, to retrieve for himself a dowry for my wife, for my daughter. And so David, Saul tells David, he says, hey, I, I want to give you my daughter. I want to give you my daughter in marriage. But here's the dowry. You don't have to pay me anything. I know that, that you don't have means. I know that, that you are not wealthy. But, but this is the dowry that I asked for you. I want a hundred foreskin of Philistines. Now, for the children that are in here, I'm going to uh, be very G-rated and say that... that uh, uh, the foreskin of a man is something that he does not like for you to take from him. Uh, especially as a grown man. And so, so David's dowry uh, was, to res- was to gather a hundred for... Now, now my guess is, is that, that these were gathered after he had killed them. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. Uh, but so, so, so basically... Basically, Saul says, hey, you have to go kill a hundred Philistines. And so what does David do? David kills 200 Philistines. And Saul thought that by sending David to collect these foreskins for these hundred Philistines, that that would certainly be the end of him and that I would be able to, to, to get rid of my rival. Well, David shows back up with 200 Philistines dead. The hand of God was upon him. And then finally... David says, okay, uh, Saul says, okay, I've got to, I've got to get rid of this, this man, David. He is, he is becoming a rival to me. He is going to take my throne. He's going to take my power. He's going to take the allegiance of the people. And so he announces to his cabinet, I'm going to kill this man. Saul had made up his mind that David must die. He announces to his cabinet, he announces to his servants, he says, this man must die. Well, Jonathan, Saul's son, goes to, day, goes to uh, King Saul and he pleads with him. He says, he says, Dad, he hadn't done anything. He has not done anything but, but act on behalf of Israel and, and, and go to battle on behalf of you. You shouldn't kill this man. And so, so Saul says, you're right, Jonathan, I shouldn't. And then he tells his servants, go kill that man. And so David is, is delivered once from the hand of Saul by Jonathan, and then his, Jonathan, uh, his father Saul sends his servants to David's house. Michael, his wife, becomes aware of this. She pretends that Saul is sick. I'm sorry, she pretends that David is sick so that he can escape out of the window while Saul is trying to kill him. He escapes, and he runs to a nearby city where Samuel is there. 
And while Samuel is there, he's thinking that, that, that Samuel can provide, and Samuel can provide protection and sanctuary for me. And so the servants of Saul are, they know where Samuel is, so they pursue David to the city of Ramah. And as they're pursuing David to the city of Ramah, God himself intercedes. And God himself protects David at the hand of Saul. And so time and time again in chapter 18 and chapter 19, we see the hand of God upon David. We see the hand of God protecting David. We see the favor of God upon David. And there's, that's this continual theme in chapter 18. I want us to look at something, though, before we jump into the application of the text. I want us to look at what happens when Jonathan, at the beginning of chapter 18, whenever Jonathan establishes this covenant with David. Chapter 18, verse 3. So Jonathan makes this covenant with David because he loved him. Verse 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow. When Jonathan gives David his coat, his armor, his sword, his bow, what this is saying to Saul and all of the ancient Near East, all of the the people in Israel, he is saying to David, I recognize the hand of God is upon you, and I am giving you my succession to the throne. When David receives the coat and the armor, the shield, the sword, the bow from Jonathan, Jonathan is acknowledging David as the rightful throne, the rightful king of Israel. Because as it stood, Saul was the king and the successor to the throne would be his son, Jonathan. But Jonathan, being a man of, of, of astute awareness, being a man who, who is in tune with the Spirit of God, being a man who is, who is aware of what is going on, sees the hand of God upon David's life and says, you know what, I see that you are the favored one. I see that you are the one who is anointed by God. And he gives him his succession. John says, Jonathan says, the hand of God is upon you and I understand this. And he gave himself He gave over his succession to the throne. I want us to understand that this is a picture. This is a picture of what Christ has done to us. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, 6, and 7. The scripture tells us that Christ gave us his righteousness and that we became adopted as sons. We became heirs to the throne. Look at the text. So that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons. Because you are sons, God has set forth His Spirit and His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And listen to this last part. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir. As Christ imputed onto us His righteousness, He imputed onto us the very relationship of sonship. Just like what Jonathan did, he gave us, just Jonathan gave David his clothes to signify his position. Christ clothed us with his righteousness that we might be adopted as heirs to the throne. 
And so we are favored by God. And I want us to understand this, church. We're not favored by God because you're pretty. You're not favored by God because of anything you have done. You're not favored by God because He likes you better than somebody else. You're favored by God because of who Christ is. You are favored by God because He has closed you with His righteousness. You are favored by God because you have been adopted through Christ. And only in Christ do we receive the full favor of God. Only in Christ do we receive adoption as sons. Only in Christ do, are we heirs to the throne. Don't misunderstand this. You are not favored by God because there is something in you that is, that is more meritorious than someone else. You are favored by God because you are in Christ. And Christ has clothed you with His righteousness. Just like Jonathan gave David his clothes. Christ has given you His clothes. And now, we are favored by God. So Saul sees this. Saul's aware of this. He sees David show up the next day and he's got Jonathan's coat on. And he's got Jonathan's armor on. And he says, wait a second, what just happened? And then he sees the women coming out of the city crying out, David, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands, and Saul is incensed. When the favor of God rests upon you, the enemy will seek to defame you, to discredit you, and to destroy you. And that's exactly what took place. The favor of God was upon David, and in all of chapter 18, Saul is intent on destroying David. Yet David is completely in the dark. He has no idea what's going on. And so this is a question that I have for us. Has the favor of God rested upon your life? Have you been blessed by God? And the answer is absolutely yes. Now here's the follow-up to that question. How many times has God in His great grace protected you when you were completely unaware? How many times have you been in the car or you've been traveling or you've been somewhere and tragedy and destruction and calamity has been avoided that you don't even know about? How many times have you you gotten in your car, walked out, Walked out of your house, got in your car, only to realize that you forgot your keys. And you turn back around and you go get your keys. Or, or only to realize that, 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 you know what, you forgot your purse or you forgot your wallet and you've got to walk back in. And those, those 30 seconds, those two minutes that, that, that you had to walk back into your house to get something may have been the difference between you coming into a head-on collision and dying. How many times have you been protected that you're completely unaware of? How many times has God allowed and has God interceded in your life that you are completely unaware of? You know, it reminds me of the story in the book of Numbers when the Israelites are down in the valley and Balak hires Balaam, the prophet, to go up on the mountain and curse Israel. And Balaam is riding his donkey up on top of the mountain specifically to curse Israel. And on his way up the mountain, the donkey goes to the left and it goes to the right and then the donkey just sits down and Balaam gets off the donkey and starts beating the donkey and says, 
Why won't you listen to me? And then the donkey starts talking back and he says, have I ever disobeyed you? And, and we have this whole interaction of Balaam and his donkey. And, and we see that Balaam finally gets up on top of the mountain and he tries to curse Israel. And out of his mouth do, doesn't come cursing, but comes blessings. And what's Israel doing this whole time? They're down in the valley. They don't even know what's going on. They have no idea that Balak has hired Balaam. They have no idea that Balaam has gone up on top of the mountain and three times tried to curse Israel and three times out of his mouth has come not curses but blessings and Israel is completely ignorant. This is what we have in Psalm, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Time and time and time again, Saul tries to kill David. Time and time and time again, God protects David. And David is completely unaware. Chapter 19, David gets clued in. Chapter 19, verse 1. Saul told Jonathan and all of his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, his son, greatly delighted in the Lord. Look at verse 2. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. This is the first time that David is aware Saul's trying to kill him. Now, he's already tried to kill him four times in chapter 18, and he's completely ignorant. Chapter 19, Jonathan says, Oh, by the way, David, my dad's trying to kill you. Oh, by the way, you know when my dad was throwing the spear at you that wasn't just a fit of rage, that wasn't just him being mad, he was really trying to kill you because he wants you dead. And whenever he sent you for the dowry of a hundred foreskins, it wasn't because he was, he was off his rocker asking for foreskins of, of Philistines. I don't know what he planned on doing with those, but, but, but he wanted to kill you. That was his purpose. That was his plan. Just so you know, my dad... Once you're dead. You can imagine that this probably took David, took him, he was taken aback by this. But I want us to look at what takes place. We see in chapter 19 four additional attempts at, John, at David's life. The first one, we see Jonathan being being the means of David's deliverance. Jonathan approaches his dad and says, Dad, you cannot kill David. He has done nothing wrong. Which appears to buy David some time. And then David is in the court of Saul again. Again, he throws a spear at him. The spear sticks in the wall, not in David, by the hand of God and God alone. Then David makes his way to his house. And Saul sends his servants, his henchmen, he sends his, his hitmen after David at his house. And what they do, Michael, his wife, takes and, and she, she makes up his bed with, with relics and idols and, and puts goat hair under the blanket and says, and says, David's sick, buys him some time, and David shimmies out the window and runs for his life to the nearby city of Ramah. But those few Moments, those hours that, that Michael bought David, Michael became the means of God's deliverance. 
And then David flees to Ramah, and he flees to Ramah, and there in Ramah is the prophet of God, Samuel. And so this is what we see. We see in Jerusalem, in, the, in, in, in Israel, the deliverer, the means of deliverance for David is Jonathan. Jonathan goes to bat for his friend. The means for deliverance is Michael. Michael delays the, the, the hitmen so that David can escape. And we fully expect, we fully expect that whenever David flees to Ramah and he gets there and Samuel is there, we fully expect for the deliverance, for the means of deliverance to be Samuel, to be the prophet of God. But what we find is the deliverance is not Samuel. The deliverance is God Himself. I want us to understand that the means of deliverance should never eclipse the source of our deliverance. Hear what I'm saying, church. The means of our salvation, the means of our deliverance, the means of our protection should never eclipse the source of our deliverance, the source of our protection. I want you to think back upon your testimony, how you came to know the Lord. For many of you, it's going to be a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a church, a youth group, a mission trip. Something in your life that introduced you to Christ, that, that revealed to you your need for a Savior. And it would be easy for us as Christians to exalt that means of salvation over the source of salvation. It would be easy for us to say, man, this pastor poured into me and this youth pastor spoke into me and, 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 and he prayed for me and he showed me the, the, my need for salvation. He introduced me to Christ. And it would be easy for us to elevate the means of our salvation over the source of our salvation. But I want us to understand this, church. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Look at what it says in Psalm 3, verse 8. That salvation belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to a church. It does not belong to a denomination. It, does not, it, it is not a pastor's to give. It is not a Sunday school teacher's to give. It is not a, a camp's to give. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus is our source of salvation. Jesus and Jesus alone, His righteousness, His death, His burial, and His resurrection is the source of our salvation. And we cannot confuse that with the means of our salvation. Jonathan, was the means of David's salvation the first time. Michael was the means of David's salvation the second time. And so we would assume that the means of salvation would be Samuel. But God said, don't be confused. The source of your salvation is not Jonathan. It's not Michael. It's not Samuel. It's not Israel. The source of your salvation is me. God, through His grace and through His mercy, is our deliverer. Jesus is our deliverer. Not this church, not any church, not any denomination, not any pastor, not any teacher. Don't confuse the means of your salvation with the source of your salvation. I want us to look at this last, I believe, teachable moment. As we read chapter 18 and chapter 19, it would be easy 
for us on the outside to look back and see how the theme of the favor of God, the providence of God is resting upon David. But put yourself in David's shoes. Put yourself in the shoes of the man who's had a spear thrown at him no less than three times in a couple weeks. Who's been sent out to be murdered by the Philistines. Who's had a hit put out on his head. Who's had to crawl out of his bed in the middle of the night pretend, having his wife pretend to be, that he pretended to be sick so that, so that he can buy just a few hours so that he can flee to a next, the next town and waiting in Ramah hiding behind an old man, a prophet, praying that, that, that the end is not coming, praying that, that somehow this old prophet Samuel would be able to protect him from the hit men that have been hired to kill him. Put yourself in David's shoes and let me ask you this question. If you're David, do you think the favor of God is resting upon you? If you're David, you are thinking, what did I do? All I've done is kill Goliath and, and go to war on behalf of Israel and go to, go to war on behalf of the Lord and, and be used by God to do great and mighty things. And now all of a sudden, all these hardships and trials and calamity and difficulties coming upon me and the man who was supposed to be my protector, supposed to be my mentor, is trying to kill me. That sure sounds like the favor of God, doesn't it? I believe that sometimes... The favor of God is not the absence of trials and hardships, but the simple fact that we're able to we're able to, to be there in the midst of hardships, trials, and difficulties. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul acknowledged this. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, because of the surpassing greatness and revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. And concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So Paul acknowledges, look, there's, there's hardships, there's difficulty. There's someone that God has placed in my life and he is, he is being a thorn in my flesh. He is, he is being an instrument of Satan. Concerning this, I have prayed to the Lord three times. And this is God's response, verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly boast about my weakness that the power of God may be richly, may be dwell in me. David was blessed by God. Highly favored by God. The favor of God rested upon him. And what did it look like? Certainly didn't look like what you and I would interpret as being blessed by God. He had a hit put out on him. His mentor tried to kill him. Every time things looked up, he would take one step forward and take two steps back. He ended up running for his life. And we're going to see in the next few chapters, he spends the next years hiding in caves from the king who's trying to kill him. That's the favor of God. You know what? If that's the favor of God, I'm okay with not being favored by God, right? We are adopted heirs to the throne. If they killed Christ, 
Why do we expect anything less? If they hated Him, they will hate you also. If they persecuted Him, they will persecute you also. Being favored by God. Even in the midst of all of David's hardships and trials, God is with him. Being favored by God is that God will be with you through the trial. To bring you safely through the trial. Why? Because God wants you to demonstrate His glory to a lost and dying world. John Piper said it like this, talking about the prosperity gospel. He says, you know, there are those in the world, those in Christendom, who are, who are passing off the prosperity gospel as if it were the gospel, saying that, that if you believe in Jesus, that He'll give you things. If you believe in Christ, that He'll bless you with things. That, that, that somehow some way, some shape, some form, that the favor of God looks like a BMW or looks like a big fine house or or looks like health, looks like wealth, looks like prosperity. And that is not what the Scripture says. The Scripture tells us that faith in Christ looks like trials, temptations, hardships. It looks like difficulty. But in the midst of difficulty, it is favor of God. It is the hand of God to carry you through so that the world looks at you and says, you know what? in the midst of the most possible pain, in the midst of the most unbelievable hardships, you have been able to to not only survive, but to thrive. How do you do that? It's the glory of Christ shining through you so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the favor of God. And so, as we conclude this morning, I want to encourage you If you are in Christ, you are highly favored. But as we looked at David's life here in 18 and 19 of 1 Samuel, highly favored does not mean what we often think of when we think of highly favored. But we are told that God was with David. Go back and look through 18 and 19. Time and time again, we see the hand of God was with David and God was with him and God had favor upon him over and over and over again. Why? Because he's his. The psalmist said, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God is with his people. The question is, are you his? The only way to be his is to be in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You have indeed favored us, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. And there are those of us in this room who are indeed highly favored, and we are highly favored because we know that we are experiencing hardships, difficulty. Because when we are favored by God, the enemy seeks to to disfame us, to discredit us, and to destroy us. If you are highly favored this morning, you are experiencing difficulty, hardship, and tragedy. And the favor of God is that He will be with you through the difficulty. That you may demonstrate the glory of God to those around you. 
Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe this morning you need to be adopted into the family of God. And the only way to do that is to place your faith and trust in Jesus, in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning you need to come to this altar simply because you're weary. You're weary of running out of Michael's window. You're weary of running to Rama. You're weary of having spears thrown at you. And you need somebody to come alongside you and pray for you, pray with you. During this time of invitation, Pray that you do business with the Lord. We thank you for Christ, for His righteousness. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.